Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Law Focus. My name is Millicent Indiweni and I am together with my colleague attorney. I'm Chapo Mohapi. And together we will be your voice of law for the evening right here on VARFM 88.1. Now, in South Africa and in many other states in the world, the general rule is that you are innocent until proven guilty. That's right, yeah. But there are times when it seems to be the other way around, where people are suggested to be guilty until proven innocent. And that is essentially what leads to what we call wrongful convictions. convictions yeah well yeah well not quite uh, I, you know you I can see how people might see it that way the position is always that you're innocent until proven guilty but once you are convicted you are guilty and then you have to go through the process of either proving that the uh, uh, the court erred uh, via an appeal or a review whether the process was incorrect or whether there's some point of law which the court got incorrect uh, but the burden of proof is never shifted away from the state the state must always prove that you're guilty and you're innocent until they prove that you're guilty and I can imagine that if you are the person who finds themselves in the situation where you are falsely accused you honestly would feel that the state is just doing you an injustice with all these burdens of proof that now you have to try and show that I am actually 100% innocent. I never committed this crime and yet here I am in jail 10 years of my life down the drain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it will be very, very frustrating for you. But like I say, you know, if you're going through the court system there's the appeal, there's the review process, but it is an expensive process, a very expensive, a long process. And if you are truly innocent and you have been convicted, um, that is something that, you know, is completely uh, life-altering. Yeah, that is so true. I mean, we're going to have to speak to an expert, uh, Mr. Innocent Mtembo from Legal Aid, and he's going to explain to us how it is even possible that courts can come to a conclusion where they find someone who is innocent uh, to have been guilty of a crime they did not commit. Yes, And then Ms. Simonia Mashangwani from the Bits Justice Project. This is uh, an organization that uh, has a lot of work that they do with these people who have been wrongfully convicted and she's going to basically share with us from a first-hand experience working with such persons i think it's going to be a very interesting conversation and very informative hearing her, her input on this matter yeah yeah it should be very interesting to, to to see from a legal point of view how this happens and once it does happen um what people like the Vids justice project do to try and correct the situation uh, but of course this wouldn't be a conversation without your input and if you want to join the conversation you can send us a tweet on @vowfm using the hashtag lawfocus remember that you're tuned into lawfocus on vowfm 88.1 so i want you to stay tuned for the upcoming discussion as we tackle the realities and the challenges of wrongful convictions but before we get into that let's take a look at the stories that have been making the news this week in our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the top of, the stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. 
And it's the world of entertainment and music with Babes Wadumo and Mampinja. Um, charges of assault have been withdrawn against Mampinja following um, a alternative disp- dispute uh, resolution uh, uh, mechanism which kicked in between Babes Wadumo and Mampinja. Uh, interestingly, both of them failed to appear in court on the 9th of July and the matter was uh, then finalized on the 12th of July. I remember that the the uh, magistrate was extremely irritated at both of them not appearing on the 9th of July. Uh, it's it's important to note that you know alternative disp- dispute resolution is a method a legitimate method of, of dealing with with matters and once that process has been completed to the satisfaction of the courts the npa perhaps the social work whoever it is that's involved um the, the matter can be withdrawn it's usually not withdrawn by the complaint it's usually withdrawn by the npa uh, in a sort of agreement with the complaint themselves so. i wonder if that is sufficient though that uh the alternative dispute resolution should be enough to deal with resolving a domestic violence matter because that is essentially a criminal matter it is assault it is violence Um, yeah 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 i mean you make a good point but i mean uh, our law does have uh, dispute re- resolution, mediation, all of that available to it to try and resolve issues that do not really have to be concluded in court. But of course, in a domestic violence situation, you have to be very careful uh, because the individuals are in a relationship, a domestic relationship, whether it's uh, cohabiting or, or they're in a romantic relationship, and things could flare up again. So the alternative dispute resolution has to be tailored towards the individual reforming their behavior especially in a domestic violence situation absolutely because it would be terrible to see it happening again after such means were taken to try and make sure that it actually does not ever erupt but in our other story do you remember the black first land first movement yes the man with the very 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 difficult surname and <laughs> i don't know if i got it right the pronunciation but so they were a political party, one of the small parties that organized before the 8th May elections this yes, year. which were abysmal, if I remember, for them. They didn't get one single seat. After they were so sure that they were going to Parliament, right? Shame. And uh, the Freedom Front Plus uh, actually had a matter to take to the Electoral Commission against them to say that the BLF should not be registered as a political party yeah. because, according to Section 16... Uh, subsection 1C of the Electoral Commission Act. It prohibits any, any discrimination of any political party um, to have people join as members on the basis of race, ethnic origin or color. And that's exactly what the BLF does. So if yeah. you are not black, you cannot join the, the BLF, BLF movement and that is where the problem is. Yeah, I mean this is could be a devastating ruling for them. Oh, although perhaps not because they didn't do well in the elections. So as a political party they're not doing well at all anyway. Uh but I mean as a as a as a as a social movement or whatever they whatever it is they want to be, they may still be a viable option uh, for those who really do want to highlight their blackness. Activism of and, land. Yeah, and all of that. Yeah. But so, as, an, as a political party, Shem, it looks like a... a <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it yes. For the time being, anyway, that, that, that they'll have to reform in order to comply with the electoral code. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, 
We'll see what happens. We'll with see that. what happens. Yeah. Yeah, we've got the Zoomers in the case in this evening. Yes, yes, the Zuma family is again making news over the last week. They everywhere. Yeah, they are. Tutuzani Zuma was found not guilty of culpable homicide uh, and reckless, uh, reckless and negligent driving. Uh, he was found not guilty by the Randburg Magistrate Court on Friday. That's the 12th July. Uh, this involved a matter where he was in a car accident in 2014 that involved a taxi and his Porsche, uh, and a passenger died. Uh, her name was uh, Pumzile Tube. She was killed as a result of the accident. Uh, it also looks as though the NPA will not be appealing the matter, given the judgment uh, of acquittal there. Um, to be honest with you, I am not surprised at this. I'm really not. His, his, Tell us why. His, 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 his defense was, uh, I know people criticize his defense a lot, but his defense was fairly solid. Uh, people were doubtful of it, but it was reasonably possibly true. And I think that the magistrate, whether we like him or not, like his father or not, made a good decision. I've personally aquaplaned on three occasions. Only one of them was serious, where those lost control of the car totally and on none of the occasions was I speeding uh, none of them resulted in, in a collision but one of them was on the freeway and I spun right around so I know what it is to aquaplane and it's that easy mm. yeah. shame unfortunately the lady lost out on possibly getting an out of court settlement where she would have gotten an reasonable amount of compensation of course life can never be brought back yeah. um, but the family could have that as an option which they can't have anymore because well there's nothing to prevent them from still approaching him the, and, unless yeah. it's the road accident fund yes yeah yeah i mean the road accident fund that's still a possibility that should be underway already it's independent from the criminal case uh but there can still be some sort of maybe uh, mediation i don't know between the parties remember mediation is still available even in a claim like this yeah All right. well in our final uh, legal hotspot story for this week which is probably the hottest story making headlines everywhere in South Africa and I'm sure somewhere in the world as well Zuma is back at the Zondo Commission of Inquiry so the state capture inquiry is essentially trying to unravel um, the happenings of corruption within the state over the past nine years um, there's been many many allegations and Zuma is basically put up there as to be the mastermind of state capture and that is why he is now brought to answer some questions and so far there's been a lot of drama there's been denials and Accusations. Yes, accusations. <laughs> Yesterday he was name dropping apartheid spies. Today he was telling us that he has death threats against him. Yes, and his family. And yeah. his family. So yeah. it's going to be an interesting one to watch right up until Friday. Now, having watched, you know, a little bit of it, you know, you know, it's difficult because it's during working hours, but having watched a little bit of it, I have a new found respect for how how cunning Mr. Zuma truly can be. Um, he's managed to testify for two days, and in those two days, all we've been discussing are uh, spy allegations and conspiracy allegations and uh, character assassination situations rather than what he's actually there for. Yeah, because you guys is, are out there to get him. Why? I bet, I bet I mean he's out there to answer charges relating to state capture, fraud, corruption. That's what he's out there to do. None of us are discussing that. And he's done a very good job at diverting our attention away from what we should be discussing and actually discussing things which seem to be pie in the sky. 
well, what we should be discussing right now is wrongful convictions. And remember, you can tweet us on at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. Up next is a very interesting conversation we're going to be having with Mr. Innocent Mtembu from Legal Aid. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, of the, stories of the week is Legal Hotspots. Law Focus on Volfang 88.1 Point of Information. Good evening, Mr. Innocent Mtembu. Welcome to Law Focus this evening. Hello, good evening. How are you? We are very well. Thank you for joining us on our show. Let's get right into it. You work at Legal Aid South Africa. Can you share quickly what it is that you do there and how you find yourself involved in matters relating to wrongful convictions? I am an advocate in the, in, 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 at the legal airport, in uh, legal South Africa, and I've been there for the past 14, 15 years. Uh, that I represent uh, people who are accused of having committed the offences, mostly rape, murders, and all things, robberies. All right. mm. And how would you sum up what wrongful convictions are? The wrongful conviction is when the person is accused of having done something wrongfully. Uh, but it can arise in different things, in different ways. It's either someone is accused wrongfully and then people are so convincing that uh, you, they sound real or else the story is true of what has taken place. That's number one. Number two, it could be the, the, the presiding officer just basically misdirected himself on facts or on law mm. uh, in such a way that uh, he can make a mistake and then arise, arrive at the, at the wrong basically decision, which will, which will basically be a conviction. Right. Now, Mr. Mtembe, tell me, how, how, how common uh, do you think wrongful convictions are? And... Um, well, what sort of factors can lead to a wrongful conviction? Um, uh, uh, for example, uh, is perjury a big deal, you know, part of it, or is it forensic evidence which is not correctly presented? What is going on where we have uh, wrongful convictions, and how common are they? Uh, most of the times, uh, it will take place either uh, intentionally or not. Mm. But you have instances whereby you, you come across an accused person having uh, done a confession. Uh, oh, having, having done a confession. All oh, right, yes. Having confessed in the case, so in the commission of the offense. Mm. And then when you find that maybe the police officers who are basically alive to the facts, and then they will beat the person up to the point where he confesses. And then you will never know, basically. That's number one. Number two, you you will find that uh, in the case of Pedro, just as you, just as you, uh, you have said, and then it, it, it is common. It does happen. Right. Okay. Mm. So, so people will embellish their 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 um, their testimony to make it uh, better for the prosecution. That, that, that's correct. You okay. see. Yeah, you can say it like that. Okay, uh, now if, if if I if I if I sort of look right, I practice a little bit of criminal law, and I will arrive there at court. I'm just giving you an example quick. I arrive there at court, and me, I will only have one or two matters there at a time. 
Right, you because can. I'm I'm working in the private sector. And then I'll arrive <clears throat> and there will be a legal aid attorney there who is now forced to deal with a dozen or more matters on one day. How much of a factor is that in contributing to a wrongful conviction where you feel you almost feel as though they're inundated? Uh, that one is a serious factor. Mm. Is a serious factor. Mm. I haven't worked in, in, in the magistrate court, mm. but I know for a fact, either through the complaints or the reports uh, from the inmates, or else when I'm reading the transcript, you'll see that there's a complaint that my attorney came to to court with 15, 20, 35, mm. and he or she didn't have time to consult with me. Yes, they consult in court sometimes. Consult in, in court sometimes because of the pressure. And also with the, the, the perception that out there, some of the officers or presiding officers, they have a perception that we are part of part and parcel of, 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 the, of, of the state. So now we have to be roped in and even if we don't have time, Yes. We, or we did not prepare uh, timelessly. Yes. That's that second, basically. Okay. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask a bit of perhaps a contradictory question. I don't know. But... And the reason I ask is because according to the United States National Registry of Exonerations, um, race is a huge factor of wrongful convictions there in the U.S. Does the same happen in South Africa? Is race politics a big... Um, factor in in some of these convictions Mm, politics is not that a factor but there are several cases and cases that basically they've come to court in 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 south africa whereby politics will see that it it is basically an element and it is it is a role that has played in, in, in 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 the matter being in court but it doesn't happen too much. Two, with, with, with regard to the system that is used in America and here in South Africa, are two different systems. So, so then the, 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 there may be a problem with them, but the systems are two different that are being used in court. Right. Uh, I see. Now, yes. Now, you know, if you are convicted. If you are convicted, um, you will often um, perhaps have the option of going to a superior court, right? But you have limited grounds on which to appear in that superior, whether it's the High Court or the Supreme Court of Appeal or the Congress. You'll have very limited grounds on which to either appeal or review. Are those mechanisms enough to curb wrongful convictions or not? I'll say yes or no, but basically on the, on, on the first part is uh, there, there, there are two there are two scenarios yeah. with whereby the original court has convicted and sentenced an, a, an accused person to life imprisonment. There is an automatic right to appeal. Right. Okay. So therefore, they don't have to apply, they don't have to convince that court that has convicted the person that I have good grounds that another court may come to a, another conclusion. Right, okay. But then that, the, 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 what you're asking comes into a field to play 
when the sentence in the regional court, in the lower court, is below life imprisonment. Right, yes. And then when you go to the higher court, whereby basically the sent- any sentence, but the, point, the beginning is where you, where you have to begin, is to convince this court that has convicted you. That another court, faced with the, the, the same facts, but sitting in a different forum, may come to a different conclusion. But the, 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 the problem part of it is, at times you find out that our presiding officers, they become emotionally involved in the matter. Mm. Others, they will use anger. Others, they will, they, they will convict with anger and sentence with anger. Others, uh, you will feel you are just, you, you, you are, not that you are embarrassing them, but you, when you say this, you, presiding officer, you made a mistake, you ate, you misrepresented yourself. Mm. You, they will feel as if you are attacking them. On a personal level, you mean? On the personal level. Yeah, okay. Mm. And, and, and now that someone is sitting with a wrongful conviction, what avenues do they have against the state? What measures can they take? What options are there for them? Do you mean after they've been acquitted? After they have been convicted. After they've been convicted, as, as I'm talking, there is an appeal, there's a review. Mm. But it depends on appeal. And if when they are acquitted? It, it depends. When you deal with appeal, you deal with the 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 the, 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 the facts of the case and the law applicable in the case. Oh. When you're dealing with the review, you are dealing with the conduct of the presiding officer. Okay. And if they are acquitted? If, if, if ever they are acquitted, they have to, if ever they are, for instance, they, are, they decide to sue the state. When you decide to sue the state, you have to allege that. Uh, the, basically, in, 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 this was a wrongful conviction, this was a wrongful prosecution or malicious prosecution, a wrongful arrest or and malicious prosecution. And then when you get acquitted, and then you begin to say that the state had this type of evidence, and this evidence, no court or no one would have basically uh, put this case into in, 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 into in, 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 into court. Basically, they need to have a prima facie case against the accused person, and they, at times they bring the case without that prima facie case. Mm. Mm. So now, when when you sue the state, or you say recourse, when you are suing the state, that is when you are acquitted before the conviction. When you, when it comes to judgment, you are acquitted. You have to basically sue for a wrongful arrest and, and, and malicious prosecution. But you need to allege that there was no prima facie case. Yeah. You see. Right. Mm. But if ever you get convicted and then sentenced and then you go via the appeal. And the same thing that can take place, you, you have to say that that court, it didn't have anything to convict me. It was just a basically a convinced by me or it was wrong. Somewhere, somehow, depending on how the judgment is framed on the upper court, and then you can sue therefore. Okay. okay. Now, that, now, if I make a distinction between a wrongful arrest 
and a wrongful conviction. Now, a wrongful arrest is fairly easy to determine. You sort of determine whether an arrest was necessary in this instance uh, and then to be incarcerated, say, for 24 hours or 48 hours, whatever it was you incarcerated for, was that necessary? Uh, and then you can sue on that basis. Now, a conviction is a far more involved case because you would be arrested, you would be put on trial, you'd go through the whole bail process, everything, go through pleading uh, and then through trial and then through sentencing. Would you would you say it's easier or how how, how hard is it to, to get uh, uh, compensated for that whole long process? Because there must be many role players in a wrongful conviction suit, whereas in a wrongful arrest suit, it could be restricted just to the police station and the, and the actual police officer who arrested you. Uh, you know, how, div- how, how difficult is it to actually get justice for a wrongful conviction? Uh, in the wrong conviction, it's very difficult. Okay. Okay. Because this trial fact, there has to have been evidence that is led, and there's a trial fact, there's a tri- uh, an analyzer of, of facts and everything. Mm. So now you, you have to put up a stronger case. Right. Basically, it might be the upper court must have found that at the beginning, that's from the beginning, it, you were convicted wrongly, and it is uh, an injustice that, was, that took place. But in that case, it is it is very it is very difficult okay. because the only thing that whoever the, the state has to prove there was a prima case, there was evidence, mm-hmm. there was something. There was something to go to trial. Yeah, there was something to go to trial. Yeah, okay. okay. Now it sounds like a very interesting conversation. Is there ever any counselling or other types of assistance offered to people who are eventually acquitted? Absolutely, there's none that I know of. Mm. I should think that I have. I, I think that uh, NGOs and because not only the after conviction, but NGOs and other role players should basically come into this picture. But the person stays there ten years, five years, and then when he's acquitted on appeal, he just goes home. Sure, sure. There's no. Uh, there's there's nothing. The, just recently, I think a month or two ago, I read a guy who has been in custody about five years, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. who he, he was just acquitted on appeal. He's just at home, and there's no rehabilitation, and then there's nothing he can do, and he doesn't have anything now. He has to start afresh looking for jobs and all those things, no which, which can become a, a strainer, basically. Yeah, definitely. Yo, that is that's shocking. Um, hopefully, we can try and work towards improving the, some of these systems within the justice um, industry. I think much can be done to ensure that, especially where the state is the one that has wronged civilians, there's something that actually is done to make sure that there is repairing of, um, you know, your humanity. Yes, yes. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us on the line. That was um, Mr. Innocent Mtembo from Legal Aid South Africa. He is an advocate and he basically just helped us unpack some of these very important issues right here on Law Focus. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Yeah, well, I think think a really big distinction is when you are accused of a crime, you know, in order for for the court or the prosecution to take you to trial, they don't need to believe that you're guilty. And that's really important. All they need to believe is that you have a case to answer to. 
and that's it. And that may result, if the evidence that they lead, if they, that may result in your conviction, even if you are innocent, and you may be, okay, let's say you get off at a later stage. Can you sue the state like uh, like Mr. Mtembud now, now says? But you'd have to prove that there is something so wrong with the state's case that they could and should never have convicted you, which is a tall order, very tall order. Well, right on that point, we asked you exactly about that um, in your opinion question tonight. Do you believe that suing the state is a good way of dealing with wrongful convictions? Good day. Um, I'm a postgraduate student in the humanities faculty. Um, definitely, I do believe that the state um, should be sued for wrongful convictions um, and they should be held accountable and it should set a good example of um, how we want to see um, things being done moving forward. With regards to this, um, my opinion is that firstly, morally is a good idea, but we have to remember that morals and law do not mix and in addition to that we have to pay attention to the fact that um, the judges are part of the state so in a way that would be contradictory and it might not it might not be possible for this for these cases to be for this case um, to be um, this, to, to happen bruh, you know so now nah, I don't think it's a good idea I disagree with the state must be sued for wrongful uh, convictions because if they decide a decision based on the ev- evidence they get. So, for example, Yes, you speaking to Kabelo. Uh, from what I see is that uh, I would sue the state with the uh, dealing with the wrongful convictions. If I were to be convicted for something that I didn't do, then they find out eight years later that I wasn't the criminal they were looking for, I would definitely sue the state. And I'll get a soundful uh, lawyer, a soundful legal advisor, that's what I meant. I mean, there's a more state. No my name just like that. Good evening, everybody. So if I was wrongfully convicted, uh, would I actually sue the state? Yes, indeed, I would, because I believe that so many other prisoners can attest to this. They come out of jail and there's almost nothing left for them. There's so much reputational damage that has been caused. And so some form of compensation needs to make up for what I've been through and what I've sort of lost. So yes, I definitely would uh, sue the state. And I guess it is a, a good way of dealing with wrongful convictions. Interesting one, isn't that? Um, reputational damage is huge so if the money is going to help to at least better the situation why not after all it's really hard to find a job when you come from jail is it not almost impossible in this country to find a job even if you're an accused who hasn't been convicted yet you just have a pending case Mm. but you know this this one question perhaps that i would just put out there is so you a magistrate or you're a judge evidence is presented before you which you haven't accused the prosecution arrives and says but this is the evidence we have against this person to present its case and then the uh, the um the accused is also allowed to present his case remember in south africa we do have free representation if you can't afford representation although it's problematic sometimes um and based on the evidence 
the magistrate says, on the evidence presented before me, or the judge, on the evidence presented before me, I can convict this individual. Should we now say, should we now have a magistrate or a judge who always has to take into consideration that if he's wrong, he is opening the justice system open to a lawsuit? How will that affect his ability to adjudicate the evidence in front of him. So even though, yes, we can be outraged, we can be upset, we also have to look at it from the point of view of the judge, the magistrate, the prosecutor sitting there and saying, I've got this evidence and I want you to make a conclusion and he must make a, come to a conclusion about it. So better safe than sorry. Well, you know, one of the maxims of law is that, uh, you know, it, it, it's very, it, it's, it's bad to see a guilty man walk, but it's even more, it's a travesty to see uh, an innocent man rot. So they do try to avoid a conviction where they are not certain and beyond reasonable doubt that this person has in fact committed the crime. Uh, but I'm just asking the question that if we have this lawsuit route, uh, for a wrongful conviction and it's an easy if it's a very easy route to take will that not have an effect on dispensing justice in the long term well law focus listener i can tell you that you don't want to miss the next interview that we're going to have because we're going to pose to our experts who is dealing precisely with these matters whether they believe that suing the state is indeed a good way of dealing with wrongful convictions after this law focus point point of information Welcome back to Law Focus with Millicent and Tepo right here on Valve M88.2. We are now joined on the line by Simonia Mashangwane, who is Project Coordinator at the Vitz Justice Project, and she's going to give us some very good information about this very issue of wrongful convictions. Welcome to Law Focus, Simonia. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Thank you so Hi. much for accepting our request. Let's start with this one. You work at the Vitz Justice Project. What do you do and what is the impact of this very important organization? So we are a project of the journalism department at Vitz. We are an investigative journalism project. So what we do is we investigate um, cases of wrongful conviction. We actually investigate the criminal justice as a whole. So we look at issues of wrongful convictions, um, conditions in prisons, we look at demand, so um, torture in prisons, but we also do investigate um, wrongful convictions. Mm. We have investigated a number of cases over the years. Uh, and and, and yeah. when we posed the question to um, the listener, we asked whether they think that suing the state is a good way of dealing with wrongful convictions. Some said definitely, others were not so sure if that is an effective way. What's your take on this? I think it's really complicated, and um, it's a yes and no for me. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to try and explain why I say so. Um, I think if you can prove that there is a valid case, that you are innocent, which is really, really difficult, I think there you've got a case. But then um, if we're talking about wrongful convictions in broad terms, then it's going to be really difficult for the state to be able to manage all of that, isn't it? And sometimes wrongful convictions happen based on a technicality. doesn't necessarily mean that an individual is innocent. Mm. So I think if we go the suing route all the time, then then we'll have a problem on our hands because then every person that has been and technically been wrongfully convicted and has been exonerated mm. came to the state to say that I've been exonerated by a court of law. But I think if the individual ha- can, there is evidence to prove that the person is innocent and they shouldn't have been in prison in the first place and then they have a case. Take somebody like Timmy Gilliam who 
was able to prove that he was innocent, he didn't commit the crime. Yeah. He spent mm. 11 years in prison, he comes out. 11 years of is a very long time in prison. Mm. And um, when you come out, your life is basically, you have to start over, you have to catch up, you have to feed your family. In that case, I can understand, but then there are certain cases that are more complicated than that. So it's a yes or no for me. And, and I think if we can prove um, innocence, then yeah, I definitely agree that people should be able to sue the state. They, people do need to be compensated mm. for for spending time in prison for things they didn't do. Well, while we are on that point, what options then do you believe that people who have been wrongfully convicted do have? Um, I mean, at the moment, people don't have a lot of options. Um, you come out there, somebody apologizes. Um, but then there isn't any sort of support structure um, when you don't come out of prison except from, from civil society. Um, and I think that's that's a huge gap that we've been seeing. Um, and I think that we're putting people out into the world, maybe still after spending 10, 11, 12, 15 years in prison, into a world that has virtually changed. And there isn't any support to introduce that person into the world to try and get them employment. Um, and... and so without the, those kinds of um, reintroduction um, mechanisms, we've got a problem. Um, there isn't any financial support. And if somebody comes out, and you know the stigma of having been in prison, whether you're guilty or innocent, remains with you. And sometimes people lose their families, and they, there isn't any support. So they come out of there, and you have nowhere to go. Hmm. So I think that um, there should be some sort of financial support. There should be some sort of support, um, um, emotional support. Um, psychological support. There's a lot of support that's needed when somebody comes out of prison. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's where the major gap is in terms of provision of support okay. for people coming out of prison. I've got two questions for you. Uh, the first yes. one is um, to do with, say, the judge or the magistrate. I, I, I put it out to our listeners, uh, but perhaps I'll put it to you as well. That if, let's say, we, we, we open the door to litigation... Um, where there's been a wrongful conviction. And you know, there are a few role players in a conviction. It's the prosecution, the, the bench, as well as now the defense. And all of those in concert, something has gone wrong and someone is convicted of um, something they didn't commit. Uh, if, if, if a magistrate has to take that into consideration whenever he has not a big doubt, but even a niggling doubt about his conviction, uh, you know, he can only convict beyond reasonable doubt, but but let's say he has got that smidgen of like, I, I'm not, I, I just don't know. Uh, wouldn't it now affect the way in which he adjudicates a matter if he knows that, well, this could lead to a lawsuit constantly? Yeah, but isn't it that that it shouldn't be the case where you? That's that's the very same point that you made. There's reasonable doubt. If you as a magistrate feel that maybe I shouldn't, then that that then proves that there is some sort of doubt. Well, well, that well, the prosecutors haven't presented the case satisfactorily. You're not convinced that this person has is guilty. Okay. But then you're still convicting. Okay. Okay. So in that yeah, case, if, if, I mean, yeah, I mean, and then, well, in, in my personal opinion, I believe that if, if magistrates feel that, then you shouldn't con- convict. You should rather ask for more evidence. I think. Right, okay. Or or acquit, if the case is close. Or acquit, yeah, or acquit. I mean, yeah, I mean, if if there's doubt, then maybe let's not um, put people in prison. And then let's 
let's assume because we know it's very difficult to sue the state for a, a wrongful conviction but let's assume it's really hard. let's assume we have a dispensation that is uh, we fight for a dispensation that says but people who are wrongly convicted should get something we can't just hoy them out onto the street after years and years in jail how would we value it you know um, the time that they've spent in jail I'm just asking for a suggestion perhaps from you is it based on um, uh, what qualifications they had prior to that is it should be more of a standard thing to say but everybody's time is the same value or I could have been a doctor or I could have been a plumber or I could have been a security guard in this time and therefore I should get this amount what what do you think would be a more fair way of doing it if such a dispensation were to exist um, I think it should be on a case-by-case case basis. Right, That's okay. the only way that it would be fair, and everybody would have to state their case. Okay. I think um, it would be unfair to have a blank- blanket um, approach to say, if you've been um, convicted and this is how much we'd give you for each year that you've spent in prison, mm. because we don't know what, what, what that means for each individual person. So I think then it's important for everybody to be able to state their case. So it should be dealt with at a, on a case-by-case basis. Mm. Mm. And your organization. I don't see any. I don't see any other option where it could be a fair um, application of that sort of system. Okay, I was going to say that your organization, Simonia, has uh, previously made submissions to Parliamentary Portfolio Committee on Justice and Correctional Services about um, some of these matters, such as this one that we are talking about tonight. What else can we expect from you um, as a team in handling this matter going further? What are the changes that uh, you are hoping that we will be seeing in the near future? So, I mean, um, what we are hoping for right now is that wrongful convictions, as as you may have heard tonight, happen for a a, a large amount of reasons. Um, Something gets broken within the entire criminal justice chain which could lead to a wrongful conviction. But I think one of the biggest issues we have is that we do not have information. Um, the NPA and the Department of Justice, they don't maintain records of wrongful convictions for all people who've been exonerated. So when we don't have information and we don't know the scale of a problem, we can't solve that problem. And But we do know that there's a problem. And I think um, where we need to start now is to gather information, gather data, and know what the extent of the problem is, and to know which areas are problematic, what types of crimes, um, are more prone to, in which crime areas do we see a lot of wrongful convictions happening. Um, so what we've been trying to do is um, following the U.S.-based model where they have something called a National Registry of Exonerations. Hmm. So in this registry, every exoneration that has been, that um, takes place in the U.S. is recorded in this registry. It's an online database that's accessible by anyone. So what we're trying to do now is the same thing. We're trying to replicate that model where we look for all these um, cases that, uh, convictions that have been overturned and we put them in a registry. So that way then we can have a a place where we can say, well, here's the scientific data. Um, between, um, say, just as an example, between 1990 and 2019, there has been this number of generations in South Africa. And these are the cases, these are the individuals who have been generated. This is the number of years that they spent in prison. These are the judges that convict and magistrates that convicted them, mm-hmm. and it is for these crimes. So once we can have that scientific outlook, we'll be able to actually look at where the problem actually lies within the criminal justice chain, and then we'll be able to deal with it. But at the moment, we don't have that information. Okay. Um, oh, as, right. as, 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 as the NPA doesn't have it, the, the 
um, the Department of Justice doesn't have it, and that's where the big gap is. So we're trying to fill that gap at the moment. Um, well, it's a long project. It's a big project. We, um, we, we've only just started um, in the middle of last year. So that's what we're busy working on now. Right, okay. I'm going to ask you perhaps a, a somewhat controversial question, but I'd like you to answer it in your opinion and as honestly as you can. Uh-huh. In your experience, does uh, who's more vulnerable to a wrongful conviction? Is it socially? Is it racial? Is it economic uh, circumstances that exposes someone to being, uh, are the victims of, of, of this travesty? more likely, for example, to be black? Are they more likely to be white? Are they more likely to be male or female? Are they more likely to be younger or older? In your experience, who's the most vulnerable to this? Um, black males. Hmm. Um, also, it's economic as well. Because if you don't have money, you don't have access to, to good legal... Not good, but you don't have access to um, the best legal representation. Mm. Uh, so, um, so a lot of things you, you don't have access to information, so you're not even able to state your own case. Sometimes people don't even know what's happening, and next thing you know, you've, you've been charged and you've been convicted without even understanding what's happening to you. Mm. So it's a lack of information. So things like poverty, um, young black males, uh, because at that point it's just it's a, it's a combination of, of, of socio-economic factors. Mm. But all the cases that we've dealt with have been. Um, of males, um, black and young, and male, <laughs> mostly, 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 young, male and black. And, and and are there matters that you simply won't take? What's that? Are there any matters that you just say no, go away? We can't help you on this. A matter that you just um, don't there, take? there has been a lot where we. I mean, obviously, we're a very small team, um, mm. and we are a donor-funded um, um, organization. But but we try very, very, very. We try as much as possible to ensure that every request that we receive that we investigate thoroughly. Uh, but then there are cases where we know we, if, if there's no new evidence, if there is no case, we, we really can't investigate because it takes a lot of resources mm-hmm. um, for us to do that. So no. there have been cases that we have, we have turned down, unfortunately. But um, we don't just look at somebody's letter and say, actually, no, this is how we're not going to investigate. Oh, right, okay. We really communicate with every individual. Okay. We try very, our very best to respond to every request and ensure that we have an understanding. We do have lawyers that assist us. Okay. So, even because we just, we journalists, we don't, we're not lawyers. So yes. Uh, we, we don't even claim to be experts in the field. So, okay. we try and get lawyers to assist us mm. in trying to ensure that we're not missing anything that could be important. Right. Now, in, in in your investigations and so on, because you have to do a lot of digging in, in, in this type of matter, do you find that it the information is readily available to you from the courts, uh, from the defense attorney, from the NPA, from whoever it is, iAfrica, whoever it is that now keeps these things, are those readily available to you or do you get pushback or is finances uh, a factor in trying to get this information? Um, information is not always readily available. Okay. Um, if we, if, if, if sometimes if the person who is looking for assistance uh, or whichever case they're investigating, if the their lawyer has all that information, it's sometimes helpful or if they have their own records sometimes. But um, half the time, people don't have those. People don't have their own transcripts, and they have to pay for them. Um, getting the information to us, because remember, we're communicating with somebody who's most often than not in prison. Yes. 
so we rely on letters. So and then we have to go and find this. It's not always readily available. Um, it's it's hard getting the information. It's hard accessing the individuals themselves. So and sometimes yes, there is a little bit of pushback. The biggest problem is people getting hold of their own transcripts. Mm. Mm. Um, because you can't appeal without um, having that document. So the problem, the biggest problem is people accessing transcripts. Mm. Well, Simone, yeah. we do have to wrap up our conversation with you. But finally, do you take walk-ins from the public who need any help? Is the information that you are able to give uh, in case any people want to get hold of the Vis Justice Project for uh, any further assistance? Um, we try not to because we're such a small team. Um, but we are accessible on social media, on the phone, on, on our emails, uh, via our website. Um, and uh, people, most people write to us. Um, the old fashioned ways, letters. Okay. Um, I could give you that private, like extra, um, first university. Um, and then for our phone number is 011 717 so listener, please, you are welcome to join the conversation by tweeting us on at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. Black, poor, young males are the most vulnerable to wrongful convictions yeah they are um i suppose it's a combination of of factors and uh, it's sad to see that and hopefully you know we can have more work and uh, by the Vids justice project and more support to them to be able to get to the bottom of these sorts of of incidents that do from occur from time to time absolutely i think what touched me the most however was the fact that when you leave the prison the jail after you spend whether it's 38 years of your life that has been wasted for something that you did not do Mm. there is zero support system emotionally financially no one's going to help you to try and find a job it's like no one cares you know and it's probably not because the state is just arrogant i mean there are resources that are in place perhaps our thinking about it has not been enough to try and cover the gap as well but i think that's the most tragic part about this whole conversation of a young person who goes to jail and leaves maybe a little bit older and voila your life has changed your family people have died but there's no counseling nothing yeah i mean I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter how long you... I mean, it matters, but regardless of how long you've been in prison, having been in prison for something that you should never have been in prison for will uh, totally change your life. You, it'll go on a completely different trajectory. And uh, one would have expected that um, that the, the justice system would make some provision, uh, you know, money aside... 
but some provision for reintegration of these individuals into uh, society again. So they've been away for five years. Things have happened. Things have changed. They've experienced things in prison which we would never want to experience. And then we let them into back into society with all that pent-up rage, all that pent-up anger. And uh, it can only have negative consequences. Someone really has to do something about support for people who are acquitted eventually of a crime which they have been sitting in jail for for an extended period of time. Remember, some people will be convicted and on appeal they'll be acquitted, but they'll be acquitted sometime, maybe a year, maybe more after their conviction, and they could be languishing in jail for that entire period. Hey, absolutely. I mean, you are. More than welcome to continue the conversation even when we are not online um, anymore, when we leave the studio. Let's talk about this. Let's see how we can also try and bring solutions as young people to some of these conversations. They affect us sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. It might not be you. It might be your friend. It might be an uncle. It might be someone whom you know in close proximity or maybe even not who has suffered or might suffer such a tragedy. Let's see what ideas we can come up with they said they don't have finances they need donors they need you know um maybe someone might see an opportunity for another ngo here Uh, perhaps yeah let's try i'm just like saying let's see what we can do let's play our role in trying to put systems in place that are going to bring solutions as opposed to us just talking about the problems but not trying Mm. to find ways of dealing with it. I have a great deal of respect for the individuals that work at at Legal Aid. However, they are inundated with work and there are systems in place to divide those files up to private attorneys who can take on fewer cases and spend more time on each case. I think that's something as well that I think plays a role in convictions of individuals who shouldn't be convicted. Uh, And, I I mean, I don't want to cast aspersions um, on the Department of Justice, but it is unacceptable uh, that uh, a legal aid attorney has to deal with 20 matters in one day in one court. I mean, nobody is capable of giving the due attention to each of those matters when they are at court. I mean, and there's already a system that exists to divide those up into the private sector at a nominal, it doesn't cost the state very much to do that. It would probably cost them less to do that than to deal with a lot of the, of the repercussions of having uh, people in jail, having uh, uh, matters delayed and all of that. It would probably cost them less just to spread out the files a little bit more. Um, um, so we really need to, I think, be quite frank about that, that on that part it's not the individuals at legal but i mean we do have a problem with the manner in which our uh, 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 public defenders are are just inundated with work mm. for our podcast including this one that we're talking about tonight you can go to iono.fm for uh, to to check out and review uh, some of the conversations that we have had with you on this show called law focus we'd like to thank our guests who joined us this evening mr innocent Mtembo from legal aid as well as Simonia Mashangwani from the Bits Justice Project. Remember, you can uh, Google the Bits Justice Project for more information if you would like their help. Otherwise, 011-717-4253 is the number that you can dial to get further assistance from them. Uh, They were excellent and we'd like to thank them so much for joining us on the show this evening. Up next is the Total Package with DL.
XL. Do stay tuned for that. But for now, from our producer, Simba Honde, our technical producer, Kutano Sirame, our low focus researchers, Sisetu Zingelwa, and Nalka Mamade, Khalaletsang, Kami Sipati, Makafani, Tapamu Happy, and myself, of course, Melissa Tindueni. Thank you for tuning into Low Focus tonight. Good night. Good night. Low Focus on Volvan 88.1. Point of Information. Low Focus Podcast.